Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Hello, Jessica. Hello, Andy. How are you? Doing good. That's awesome. I love to ask you how you are, and then I edit it out every time. People care that I'm doing well. They're happy that you're doing well, but what they really want to know is how you felt about this week's episode. Which, we should go ahead and state, this was uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Yes. If you haven't seen it, turn this off, go watch it, because we're going to immediately follow with every spoiler ever. Right, right. And uh, if this is your first time listening to Beginning the Trek... Please go back to episode one and start your trek with us at the very beginning because this journey is best taken from the first step. Yeah, put it in reverse order. Oldest first. There you go. Okay, good. So um, uh, we got a couple of things to talk about before we jump right into Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Yes. The first, the first thing we wanted to let everybody know is that Jessica and I have been doing some work on the format of the show, and in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear some changes. They won't be too big, just we're going to actually kind of section out some stuff, and as we move past the original series, it's going to get more important about spoilers, so we're going to be adding some stuff like that in. Hopefully it'll make for a more pleasant listening experience. Still the same Jessica and Andy. Still the same Jessica and Andy. Still the same, uh, well, all new Star Trek because we'll be moving into the next generation, but still Star Trek. I'm, I'm kind of excited for this new format, actually, to put it I in. I am, too. I am, too. Um, we're going to, we're going to section out a little bit, uh, of time to talk about, uh, just general track, uh, maybe answer a question, talk about a little piece of trivia or something that, that one or the other of us is getting from it. So, um, that's going to be fun too, because I'm getting so much and I know you are too. And I love talking trivia too. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to let that be your last battlefield because you're really excited to give this 10 sentence synopsis. Okay. I am ready for my 10 sentence uh, synopsis. Do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let that be your last battlefield. All right, here we go. The following synopsis is brought to you in living color on NBC. The Enterprise is on a highly critical and hugely important mission to decontaminate the atmosphere of the planet Arianus, or something like that, when they find a stolen shuttlecraft drifting in space. Grand Theft Shuttle is a serious crime, and Kirk arrests Loki, the strange bicolored alien, as the facts about his guilt seem very black and white. Return course to Arianus. And the Enterprise is back at, oops, new contact captain coming in fast. Poof, Commissioner Beale, head man in charge of hunting down Loki for the government of Sharon, suddenly appears on the bridge. Beale claims that Loki is a criminal, and Loki accuses Beale of political persecution, and there's a whole lot of hateful things spewed, each one entitled and insistent, and there's just no gray area about the whole subject. Back on track with... What was it? Oh, yes, decontaminating the Arianus when Beale uses his overpowered powers to think the ship off course and we're suddenly headed back towards Sharon. Kirk's solution destruct sequence 1, code 11A, destruct sequence 2, code 1A, 2B, destruct sequence 3, code 1B, 2B, 3, and Beale finally says, okay, enough! I've had it! Decontaminate the damn planet for all I care! We do. It works move on. And we finally get the big, he's black on the left side and I'm black on the right side, reveal, and then Beale forces the ship back to Sharon, this time Kirk and the crew completely powerless to stop him. 
Approaching Sharan, we find no life signs at all. The planet's population seeming to be destroyed, because they probably never learned that ebony and ivory can live together in perfect harmony. Lesson not learned as Lokai and Beale return to the ruins of Sharan, their last battlefield, wink, leaving us to ponder five-decade-old question. Just how much political commentary can they slip past the network executives and censors if they keep calling them aliens? <laughs> the end. That destruct in your synopsis was just about as long as the destruct in the actual show. Ah! I tried to say that as quick as possible, and um, but uh, yeah, you enjoy. <laughs> I put that one in just for you because I know how much you enjoyed that scene. Yes. Uh, but let's not talk about it here. No, go to Chinese sound. Shall we get started? Uh, yeah, let's talk episode. Let's talk episode. Let that be your last battlefield. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and give my rating up front. Sure. It is going to be two flashing red alarms out of five. <laughs> two flashing red zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out alarms? Zoom in. Okay, got yes. it. Yeah, because... Yeah you, yeah, you get it. Anybody who's seen this, and you get it. <laughs> I definitely get it. I don't know how you couldn't remember that one, even if it's been a while. Well, again, it was funny to watch this episode and see that that those style choices... Uh, but I'm getting in your way. You talk. Oh, wait. You know, when I watched this, I was going to give it one because it moved so incredibly slowly and there was so much that I didn't the, about the artsy filming of it that I really, really didn't care for. I thought it was very not Star Trek, which we can get into a little bit later about why that exists. Mm. Uh, but upon second viewing... It grew on me, not enough to make me not want to fast forward through the unending self-destruct sequence or, good lord, the running in the hallways. I mean, those both must go on for yeah quite a while, uh, but but enough to bump it up at least one. It's got it's got some great moral uh stories and it's got a lot of classic sci-fi in the sense of you can tell a story about something that is so very clearly right now at any moment right now between ever you can tell a story about humans that humans are more accepting of because it's not humans in the story it's aliens yes. right i mean they they got so away with a lot of a statement by saying right. black and white versus white and black rather right. than saying white versus black. Yes. Uh, so I think in that way, it held up. And I think if I were to watch it more, I might even add one more star to it, but not, but I'm not going to, because... I got it. If you watched it three more times, it might be a perfect score. You never know. Uh <laughs> <laughs> because I am, I'm not a hardcore fan, so my stuff isn't set in stone. <laughs> this episode is a little bit slower. It's a little plotting. And, mm -hmm. and to coin a phrase, it's very bonk bonk on the head. The message is not a big surprise to, to most people. Um, right. Uh, when we, I'll talk a little bit later about it, but I want to talk a little bit about my experience with watching this episode because I think my experience is a little different because I saw it when I was like eight years old. That would have a major impact. Yeah. 
Ah, okay. So before we do that, and some of the other stuff, there were some plot issues. Uh, I think the biggest one, and you might have heard this if you've been listening along for this entire thing, I personally have a problem with Star Trek making the aliens extremely powerful and then forcing them to behave in a way that fits the script instead of what they would logically do given their powers. And that is something that was extremely obvious to me in The Cage. It was uh, it was handled much, much, much better in uh, Errand of Mercy because those aliens really were as powerful as they were portrayed to be and behaved very, in, I, I thought, in a way that lined up with their powers. But these guys, these guys really, really didn't. So I have to make the assumption that they only hate themselves and they're extremely pacifist because given all of their... Uh, Technology. I mean, the ability to just take over the Enterprise. Yeah, they didn't think through the amount of ability that they had. I think they gave, mm-hmm. they made it look like they had more ability, but of course, they needed, they needed that slow build. They wanted that slow build right. of we're going to our planet and we don't care about you. Well, I, you know, that struggle for power. Right. That between Kirk and, and Commissioner Beale. But you, you, I mean, you have to say at some point, why don't they just knock out the captain? Why doesn't he just take over the ship? Or all of them, for that matter. Yeah, like it's it's just surprising. Yeah, they they do a lot of, you know, first the first thing the, the the thing that bothered me the most was when I heard them say that that they'd been in pursuit of each other, that Beale had been in pursuit of Loki for fifty thousand years, and so that means that they're that long lived. Uh, and I can just imagine after 50,000 years, not giving a darn about anybody that's getting in the way, you know? And there's some things, if, if we're talking about general Star Trek issues that I have, uh, we've talked about the security on the ship before. So there's, the Enterprise is peacekeeping. Their mission is to go explore the galaxy and meet new people, right? It's exploration, it's yeah. It's exploration yeah. based. Seek out new life and new civilizations. The Starfleet, however, is still fairly military-minded, even if it's just in strategy. What usually gets Captain Kirk out of situations is his ability to be sneaky about logic, essentially. Like, that is classic Captain Kirk getting out of a situation is he convinced somebody, he bluffed them, he played poker instead of chess, or he played chess, or Spock does the same and gives him an idea, you know, somebody sparks something and he gets the idea that leads to them getting out of whatever scrape that they're in. Sure. They play to whatever their strengths, each character's strengths are. Right. It's weird that they allow just free reign of these two aliens, even before they know how powerful they are. Like in the end, Kirk's very clearly like, well, I give up. You guys got shields. Our weapons that we wouldn't use until extreme measures has not phased you at all and go run. We're glad you're not hurting us. I mean, there seems to be that consensus in the end. Yeah. As I watched this episode, that was one of the things I kind of picked up on is this wasn't really an, an adventure that we were involved in. This was more like an adventure that, that we were a witness to these two aliens from this long dead, as it turns out, civilization right. that had annihilated each other were just there to put on this 
morality tale for us to observe. And we tried to interpose ourselves a couple of times, you know, by right. saying we're going to blow up the ship if you don't take it to where we want. And while that slowed things down and gave us the whole morality play, all it really did was just gave the Enterprise crew some stuff to do while we watched these two play out their battle. Which I think was a mistake. And I thought about this going through. It, w- it would have been so cool to see an involvement or even in like an accidental involvement. There's, well, let's go ahead and talk about Beale and Lokai. There was something that I was extremely impressed by, and that was they peg Lokai as a um, charismatic uh, leader of a rebellion, but clearly he's that of a lower class. Yes. Um, and then they've got Beale, who is the upper class enslavers, depending on I mean, we don't we don't ever actually get to know their history, but we have to assume that he act he sure acts like it. Sure, and he's 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 even got a title, Commissioner Beale. Right. The what what does he do? He's the oh my gosh, it was such an interesting title. Um, right. Like in charge of political. I'm gonna I I, 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 I want to look that one up real quick. Um, Chief Officer of Sharon's Commission on Political Traitors. Right. Chief Officer on Sharon's Commission of Political Traitors. That's quite a title. That's quite the title. And it's very telling. You know, I mean, he's out there hunting people that his government thinks are bad people. Political traitors. People that don't believe in what our government believes in. You know, how common is that? I think these two characters were absolutely beautiful in the way they were portrayed because Lokai is a very charismatic leader of the rebellion of the people and Beale goes straight to upper crusty, uh, mightier than thou attitudes. Both of them are extremely passionate, but even where they end up in the ship, Lokai goes straight to the crew and Beale goes straight to the com- – I mean, he's having – with the captain and his right-hand man, he's having drinks, civilized drinks, with these people trying to explain logically why Lokai is second class. So I was all ready to point that out mm. and show you and show you how smart I am that, that <laughs> I was going to say that, that even characteristically, they approached the people at what they consider to be their level. Yeah. And, and there you were beating me to the punch. Well done. Yeah. That was, that was a, a really, I love that moment and seeing um, Spock standing outside of the rec room mm-hmm. while Lokai was talking with everybody else and just sort of listening. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you wonder what's going through Spock's mind. Is he, is he concerned? Is he thinking, Oh, we have a problem here, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then v- the very next scene, he's sitting there with Kirk talking to Beale, yep. you know, and, and Beale is trying to do the diplomacy thing. It was a, it was a good juxtaposition of those two, I thought. I, I thought so, too. That was one of the things. They may have been bonk, bonk on the head with the morals, but I thought that that was, that was spot on. Yeah, I, I love the acting from both of these two guys, too. Yes. Especially, especially um, Commissioner Beale, Frank Gorsham. Really good. I think he kind of carried it, actually, because the show, that's the best part. <laughs> yeah, and, and his physicality, it's so funny because he has this physicality uh, that's reminiscent. So Frank Gorsham is the character... Or is the is the actor that played Commissioner Beale, mm-hmm. and I I 
I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but he was also uh, the Riddler on Batman, on the original Adam West TV series, Batman. Okay, because this episode, and he may not have had anything to do with this, but this episode has a very 70s Batman feel about it. It's got even a little bit with the sound, but mostly like with the flashing lights, the zoom in and out, the the extreme close-ups, especially you'll see it on the on the countdown. It was stylistically really, really uh, cartoon. It felt that way. It felt like live action cartoons. Yeah, well you said you said Batman, so that's like a comic book, maybe. Like a little little like a little bit of a comic book presentation. And there was there was all kinds of goofy I noticed it. Um the the every time that they did the close up on the on the mm-hmm. red alert and they went in and out and in and out and in and out. And one time they did it, I think five times, where it was in out, in out, in out, five times. So bad. And it's just it, it was just yes. silly. Um, the, when, when Beale and Loki are both chasing after each other in the ship and then they intercut the, that they sort of fade in flash, I can only assume they're flashbacks of the Armageddon that took place on Sharon on their planet that they weren't even a part of, but. That was weird. It, that it, was it, really, really weird. I did not follow why we needed to be, cause they looked like they had been like marathon running. They had that like exhausted running face and I'm just like. How long do they need to run like this? I didn't. I did not understand where that entire thing was coming from. I really didn't. Well, and uh, there are reasons I showed this episode, and there are obviously reasons why it's like, well, you know, this is the way this looked. <laughs> I, I it, when when um, Beale leaves the bridge. Mm-hmm. And and I don't remember who it is. I think Uhura is the one that says, "Shall I alert security?" And Kirk says, "Where can they run?" The very next shot, the elevator door opens up on a corridor. Beale comes running out of the out of the elevator at full steam and runs right, right into a guy, knocking him down on the ground. And then he keeps going. And I'm thinking, really? Well, just so your own people don't get run into, you might want to corral these two, right? You could try at least set other people up for. There's hey, there's really two powerful aliens running around. Trying to kill each other. Everybody go to your quarter. I mean, something. They didn't feel very Star Trek. Now, I know I'm only like 10 episodes in, but I feel like now I've got a handle on what the original series looks like. And this did not feel like what it would look like. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask, is there like, I would, I would assume the director is in charge of all of these stylistic choices so who did this and why <laughs> so there's an art director there's a director who is the person that actually it's their vision and they're the ones that kind of say um i want it to look like this i want my actors to act like this so that's what an act like they're directing it does the director direct the art director <laughs> yes the direct the director directs everybody so yeah and, and because the director is the person who basically has the vision and then he a good he or she a good director will hire the people that will help produce his or her vision are those the producers those no the producers are the people that are actually in charge of doing all of the things necessary to make the show happen um so this is like a hollywood 101 right this is like let's learn about the industry 
<laughs> and basically anything that 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 doesn't get done, the producer has to get done. Sure. Which sometimes is just sweeping up the set. Sometimes the producer does that too. I can't imagine Gene Roddenberry grabbing a push broom now. Art director or the cinematographer is the person that kind of they're in charge of setting up the shot. Making sure that what's in the frame is what we want to have in the frame, making sure that 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 the focuses are correct. They're in charge of what it looks like when it finally hits the screen. Chances are that's who we're talking about here. All right. And in this case, the the cinematographer was a man named Al Francis, who who art directed looks like sixteen different episodes of Star Trek. Um, and some of them, honestly, some of them are a little bit more of the unusual styles. I'm thinking about an episode like Turnabout Intruder, where we see the background over the top, over the overlay of the, of the character. I do remember that. Cloudminders has some similar stuff. Um, Lights of Zatar, too, has some, some funny stylistic choices. So, yeah, this... So just with this one, he got to let loose. I can see where these might have shown up elsewhere. But he also did cinematography for some of my all-time favorite episodes. Episodes like Day of the Dove and uh, The Tholian Web. Plato's Stepchildren is the the one with the first interracial kiss. So he art directed that. So he clearly, on, on some of these, he got to exercise some extremes that... I would say, as a viewer, did not really work. The standoffishness, kind of, of the crew. Like, we're just witnessing this episode. And I think that that was a complete missed opportunity to have the ship become involved in the hatred. It could have very easily the end, instead of being running through corridors to flames in the background, uh, it could have very easily been the crew kind of gets together and is just like, yeah, we should fight for this guy. It's not okay that he's oppressed. That's why we fight the Klingons because they're enslaving people or taking over. And on the other side, you could have, had he convinced Spock uh, or had he logically gone through things and said the history of, I don't know if it's revisionist or not. We never get to find out, but you could have gotten us involved as viewers because we are, Kirk and Spock and her were the ship. We're not the aliens. And I think that that was really huge. And so it became very standoffish. And I think that that right there is why it gets hit on so much for being so unsubtle. Not even, un- it's not unsubtle. It's so boink boink over the head. This is mm-hmm. it's so obvious. And, and, and yeah, I think what was missing was there was no lesson for any of us to learn. Right. Because we we all saw the lesson from minute one. Right. We The minute that they were antagonistic towards each other, all we wanted to do was keep them apart. Right. right. You know, and talk about how disgusting they were and, and, right. and how crazy it is to have yep. those feelings. We were never – we got nowhere in this episode. We, we the, the crew. Right. Yep. That we are all a part right. of. Got nowhere. The only – and Beale and Loki got – Essentially nowhere. They got worse than nowhere. <laughs> yeah, they, they. You know, one of them is going to kill the other one, and then probably kill himself mm-hmm. on the planet, and that's going to be the end of all of the Sharonians. That entire incredible civilization that had so much technology that was clearly learned. Something that was not addressed was uh, 
the oppressor that we take for granted, Beale, has way more power than Lokai does because he can direct the ship. They've both got shields and, and they both lived that long. So as a part of their genetic makeup, they're very, they're the same. But really interesting. I don't know if that's a fluke or that was on purpose, but there had to have been a thing where they were like, no, 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 you don't get to, you don't get to learn this. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it was, maybe it was one of those powers that made him a commissioner, you know, maybe, maybe because he was a more powerful Mm -hmm. Sharonian, if that's what they're called. That that he got to be, or or maybe right. genetically there is a difference. Who knows? Wouldn't that be? Mm, maybe they actually are inferior. Did you say inferior? Did you really? Did you not watch the episode? I did. But maybe they are. If if they if one can do all the cool stuff with the and the other can't, yeah, would that be considered inferior? If a degree be. of power, that's how we treat animals. They can't shoot us back. They are inferior. That is very true. That's very true. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. That got like super political. Whoa. (laughs) Well, the really interesting thing is um, I was, I was going to say the ultimate moral completely stands up because that standoffishness is we get to look at it from the outside and it's not one side killed the other. It's both sides wouldn't stop killing each other and now everyone's dead uh and so if i'm gonna be political i might as well take this i wrote this down it was like if you take something that you hate and you can put in anything but just because they mentioned in in this i'll say slavery so you take something that you hate and you make the person who is in front of you the avatar of that and you think that okay this this slave owner this beal represents slavery I hate him. I'm going to kill him. And at the end of that, after 50,000 years of being chased, whatever, you finally get to kill that. You still haven't killed slavery. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's, I think it holds up because ultimately, if we could all learn that moral, that'd be great that the opposing party of what you believe isn't actually what you don't believe. They're just expressing that view. I realized, uh, because I did listen to The Cage, it's the first episode on... Um, oh, the Mission Log podcast, yes. Right, the Mission Log podcast, because I, I wanted it, now that we're way past that, I wanted to see their thoughts and compare them to my thoughts as a newcomer. And what I realized is I have, I literally can't have any sense of context from how it was in the 60s. I, I just don't. And it's something you are missing viewing this with me what you get is all the excitement of having these new firsts but what you miss out on is somebody who understands the appropriateness of the decisions that were made in 1968 and i just literally cannot appreciate that because i'm viewing them in 2017 sure well and i've tried my best right you have to to point out where that is and Logically, I know you can see it. Right. Logically, when you look at at Uhura, when you look at Nichelle Nichols, a mm-hmm. black woman who has been given a position of authority, who who you know Captain Kirk apologizes to directly. Right. I'm sorry. That was absolutely groundbreaking. And from your perspective, it's like that's all she has to do. Right. She's a glorified secretary. I'd be very surprised if a lot of People thirty and under mm-hmm. 
would be willing to pick up the entire original series of Star Trek and certainly not pick it up first. Right. What got me into that mindset really actually wasn't uh, the the talk of like uh, females, males, sexism, racism, all of that, although this is in this episode really clear. Uh, What got me was after I had listened to that and thinking about the context of somebody watching this in 60s and 70s, the ship, the style of the ship always looks old to me because it looks like it's from the 80s. And then it suddenly occurred to me how ahead looking like it's from the 80s is in the 60s. And yeah. I, I like it was that moment of like, oh, my God, they were so far ahead. Uh, and so props to that. Kudos to that for mm-hmm. my contest is my context is that's so old. And if you put it into perspective, it's like that was not that was the literally the opposite of old. It had to have looked so incredibly impressive and modern and bright and shiny and angular and all of the things that made up the architecture of that ship. Uh, so, and then this makes me curious. I know people uh, super nerd out on this, and I believe you are one of them because you've talked about having diagrams before. So what, what the plan of the ship, all of that. Yes. Hold on. Let me, let me grab my, my official Star Trek USS Enterprise blueprints. I've got all 12. <laughs> and, and then I also have from the, the 1970s, I have my Starfleet's technical manual fully illustrated, including the letter from Commandant Kirk from the Academy. Oh my. So I've got, I've got all of my reference materials. What would you like to know about the design of the Enterprise? Um, who designed it? And do you think that they were ahead of their time for being in the 60s? Because this had to have been designed mid-60s. Well, yeah, and it was. It was designed in time for for um, the cage, which was made in 1964. Right. So they were looking at designs of that ship even before that. And while I don't know the whole timeline of how it was designed, let me talk a little bit about the designer, the guy that created that that beautiful ship that I've just fallen in love with for all these <laughs> decades. His name was Matt. His name is Matt Jeffries. And he was the original – designer of uh NCC 1701 which was th- which is the call number okay on the original enterprise you you may or may not have seen that enough times yet to know that that's our number but it's on the 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 top of the saucer and it's on the side and NCC 1701 I would probably never have noticed <laughs> we're going to get a whole bunch of those numbers and they mean a lot to people so um, the, the, and I, I mean, I, wow. Where do you want me to go with talking about the design of the ship? Should I get all nerdy and talk to you about where the warp nacelles are and how they work? Those two big, those two big things in the back. No. What, what made you so curious about this ship? What fascinated you most? Was it how it worked, how it flew, that it was so technically correct? scientifically or what what got you into what got you what made you love this ship what made me love the ship um boy you know honestly i I would almost have to say and this is everybody's got their own thing but um there's just so many fun parts of it you've got you've got the saucer at the top and you've got the bridge all the way at the top which you could even see you know in that in that 
first shot in the cage where they actually show you kind of go down through the through the top in there. Um, there's just something you want to know what it is? I know what it is. I know how to answer this question. Yes, tell me. Honestly, it, it's the design of the bridge. Mm. There is something so cool about Captain Kirk in the middle, everybody working their science stations. And I was, you know, I'm a nerdy kid. I used to hang out at Radio Shack. I used to program that little TRS-80 that, that they put up in the corner that nobody knew what it was. So I was a nerd and I wanted to be one of those people. I wanted to look down into that thing that Spock looks into mm -hmm. and do some scanning. I, what I really want to do is I want to sit where Sulu is. I want to drive. <laughs> want to, want to drive. I want to drive the ship. And and I love that bridge. There's a uh, – every time that they're on that bridge, I feel at home. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You got me thinking all about it now. I got a big grin on my face right now. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That's fun to hear about because this is this is the stuff that people connect to. I was on Twitter doing some of these things, and a uh, lady was talking about how you get to be yourself around Trekkies, and it doesn't matter who that is because if you've taken that name, if you've taken that claim, if you've nerded out over this, you are acceptable, and there's no shame. Whatever freaky thing you do, there's no shame around it. If you buy original scripts and you spend a lot of money doing that and that's where your priorities are they're like we understand and if you do like, enter yeah. any any crazy thing about this you're completely it's completely acceptable and i can see it it's got to be like ah oh, cool i'm okay here where the entire rest of the world doesn't they don't get me that kind of vibe so well, and you know, we all meet at, at our crazy conventions and and get together in our in our chat groups and and Star Trek fans are probably about the most inclusive people in the world. I wish that the other characters had gotten involved. The other star because I mean, you want to talk about an opportunity to use both both mm -hmm. Uhura and oh, so and and much. Sulu. Yes. You could have used both of them in yes. that context, and they just – the opportunity missed. The base of this episode is so good, and the three stars that are missing are just – that's the reason why. Because we weren't involved. Yeah. We weren't involved in our own our own story. We watched it from the sidelines. And when when you when you think about it, all those criticisms that you came up with come from even the style choices probably came from well, we have to do something to en engage the audience. Yeah. So we'll make it look interesting. Right. We'll, we'll we'll do all these these strange stylistic. I, I I can imagine that. And what was really missing was a story. Us. That actually involved uh, the yes the the enterprise our characters. So one of the recommendations that I wanted to make, okay, sticking with the racism theme, but I think I think an episode that maybe handles it a little differently. I didn't show it for for other reasons, and this is one that I actually mentioned. In fact, I think I mentioned it earlier in this episode. It's an episode called "The Day of the Dove." Oh yes, you've talked about this before. Yeah, it's a Klingon episode, and yeah. and um, without getting into all the details of it, there are Klingons, there are Federation people. It examines racism, it examines propaganda, it examines what do we really think is happening over there with them. You did this as your suggestion for the 
Errand of Mercy. I wouldn't say Beacon, but that was the only one you're like, if you like the Klingons, we're going to see much more of them. But the that one you suggested specifically for that one. Yeah, I, I know I'd suggested it more than once. So mm-hmm. obviously, if I'm suggesting it twice, it's I think it's a pretty good episode and has has some pretty good morals to it. There you go. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest another one. So this is based on I mean racism was a big thing in the 60s, and they do a lot of Star Trek based on uh, what was present, what was happening at the time. One of the things that was happening at the time was the Vietnam War. Yeah, and uh, fight the man. There's a great episode called A Private Little War that talks about the escalation of two sides when they're being fed by two superpowers. Hmm. So um, a lot of parallels there. And and so I will recommend for this week, uh, like I have before, Day of the Dove mm-hmm, yeah. and A Private Little War. All right. So we've got that one. And then just because we're talking about episodes previous and going forward, uh, I was completely wrong on my prediction for this one. Because let me go back. What did I say? I said that this one was going to be about a, a regretful episode where the Enterprise gets into a war or a battle and they lose something. Like, And that was going to be like their big thing. But this was not that at all. Not even close. Not even close. Um, yeah, we weren't involved in a battle or I think we had lunch. <laughs> there was some kind of green liquid being consumed. Yeah. But but listen, you have done so good with guessing some of these right off the bat. I, I'm, I'm like, boy, what you said about naked time still blows me away about how you came up with that. And, and even, you know, stuff like the, the tribbles. We need to make mm-hmm. sure we revisit your predictions because that's something we, yeah. we haven't done enough of yet. Is yeah. going back and, and, and we got to – We're going to make this a staple in all of them. Yeah. We'll celebrate your your, your victories and uh, – And for this time, uh, a sad, sad loss. So this next episode, is it going to be quite as heavy? Are we going to be dealing with lessons of morality and allegory? As it turns out, yes, we will be dealing with some lessons of morality, uh, but in a very different context and with a lot more energy, a lot more action, a lot more inclusion of other characters from the show. All right, now you got to give it away. Yeah, so let's do it. Let's let's get on to next week. So for those of you that are that are uh, um, beginning the trek with us, Jessica, your next episode that you will be watching for next week's show, <laughs> original series episode called Mirror Mirror. Well, and there's a comma in between. Mirror comma mirror. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm guessing just with my knowledge of sci-fi that I can give you a fairly accurate prediction of what this episode is going to be about. Okay. Parallel universes or some sort of uh they walk through a mirror and there's a version of the Enterprise that is almost but not quite them. <laughs> well, um you watch a lot of uh, of science fiction. You have watched a lot of science fiction, I know, and um, <laughs> there's no way this isn't about that. I don't know how they get to the parallel universe, but they or what are the a different timeline? It'll be it'll be 
uh, without giving you all of the spoilers, because of course I, I would never mm-hmm. want to spoil this for you. Um, but without giving you the spoilers, uh, we're probably looking at something along those lines. Um, and this, I'm doing this for uh, several reasons. One, this is just a fun episode for me. I enjoy this one, but, but there is all a. Right. Like that. The, 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 the worlds that become created out of this episode, we will be revisiting again in the future. Okay. And we will be revisiting again in the future in these 52. Okay. So definitely one I needed to watch. Yep. Absolutely. Mirror, Mirror, season two, episode four. So we're going back in time. In fact, okay. let, let that be your last battlefield. It's as deep into the series as we're going to get in the third season in the middle. Okay. We're going we're gonna to go back into the second season for Mirror Mirror with episode number four. All right. So I will be watching this on November 12th. If you would like to tweet along, uh, it's going to be 6 p.m. Mountain Time. I'll be giving my first impressions there. And if you mention at Begin the Track... Uh, I want to see if anybody can get in on this and we can try and stump Andy with a fan question or trivia about Mirror Mirror. Oh, bring it. <laughs> bring bring the trivia. I, I, I once won a Star Trek trivia contest at a Star Trek convention. I believe it. Yeah. I, so uh, when it comes to original series, I used to have all the knowledge. We don't know if I still got it now, but I used to have all the knowledge. So, all right. Mirror Mirror. Mirror Mirror is next week's. We have three episodes left. Of the original series. Three episodes of the original series. I was like, no. (laughs) We've got Um, tens of tens of more. Tens of tens and tens and tens of more. We have months. We have months of of episodes. No, we're near Captain Janeway. Not yet. Not yet, but we're getting closer. I know you're so anxious. You're so and and boy, you just talk about her and talk about her and like, okay, I got it. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Mirror Mirror is, it is so much fun. And it lays, like I said, it lays a base. Mm-hmm. And, and we're probably going to revisit it both in Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Cool. So, okay. But we don't need to talk about all that stuff right now. Um, you've given your announcements. We've mm-hmm. beaten the snot out of Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. I think we have, yes. I think... It's time to call it an afternoon. I think so, too. I will be back again with you all next week. Let's talk Mary Mary next week. Perfect. All right. We'll see you all next week. Bye, Jessica. Bye. I don't care who actually fought this battle. Whoever did, thank you, because it taught one eight-year-old boy the difference between black and white, which is that there isn't any. That's beautiful. That I don't think there's a better testament to this episode. That right there. 